This is On Your Radar, a podcast series produced at WGN Radio. I'm John Williams, and in this series, we visit with the doctors and staff at Rosecrans. This is the second episode in our series of podcasts about mental health and the workforce challenge. In the first episode, we discussed burnout and how it's affecting our workplaces and our home lives. But in this episode, we want to dive deeper into the mental health challenges that first responders are facing, including recent losses faced by our own Chicago Police Department. So let's start with Dan DeGrice, who is the director of the Rosecrans Florian program. Uh, Dan is not only appeared in this podcast series before, but also has been a guest many times on WGN Radio. Dan, welcome. John, good to see you again. Uh, a, a real what's what's the uh, two sentence bio of you? How is it that you come to this? Uh, Thirty years in the fire service out of Chicago. Thirty six years in behavioral health, and want to help uniform service personnel live a, a better life. And so, while you have been on the fire department side, and now with the Florian program, you work with first responders in in many disciplines. Dr. Robert Sobo is also here, the director of the Chicago Police Department's Professional Counseling Division. Doctor, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us today. So, if his focus once upon a time was on the fire, you were more the police side, right? That is correct. And then sitting next to you is Joe Riley, who is an officer in the Chicago Police Department and is an alcohol substance abuse counselor. So, you're still a cop with CPD, right? I'm still a police officer with the Chicago Police Department. You've been a, a, a cop in Chicago for how long? I've been a Chicago police officer for seven years. And I've been sober for 33 years. I think you got that wrong. You've been an officer for how long? <laughs> 27 years. You said seven years. And oh, I thought, no. 27 years. I know better than yeah. that. 27 years sober for 33. So then yeah. you had a drinking problem once upon a time. You got over that. Right. Or maybe that's not the right way to put it, right, officer? You People are never cured of their right. alcoholism. It, we, we, we like to think of it as one day at a time. That we have to take care of our – it's a disease and we have to take care of it. And is that something that you consciously encounter every day, or is that just something in the background? You've been sober so long, it's not a struggle for you. No, it, it, you know what? I think uh, alcoholism, is, it's a chronic disease, so it, it's, uh, it never really goes away. But I, I believe that I do enough to take care of it. I go to AA meetings. I talk to other people in Alcoholics Anonymous. If I have a problem, I go see a counselor. Um, so there's always something to do to take it because you, we like to think of it as you're either working on recovery or you're working on relapse. There's mm. no in between. You really? always have to be working towards recovery. Well, that answers my question. So while it might not be a pang every day and you've got to satisfy it or get around it, um, it's always something motivating your life, isn't it? Right. It's given me a great life. I've been sober 33 years. Huh. I guess, Dan, you're not surprised to hear that. No, well, I come from an alcoholic uh, family. My dad was a Chicago police officer, and, and we worked, uh, 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 Joe and, and Dr. Sobel, we've had conversations about people because my dad found sobriety during his career as a Chicago police officer. Hmm. Is the pandemic made things worse in this series we talk about how it's been harder on school children and teachers and parents and accountants and talk show hosts has it been especially problematic the pandemic for police officers and first responders 
Absolutely. Like you're saying, I think we have to remember that when we look at officer wellness, we have to look at what's going on in society in general and how that has impacted all of our lives. And, um, you know, our families live in these communities. Our spouses are people we work with. Our children go to school with your children. We work, play, and interact in our communities. So the impact of COVID and our children staying at home and learning remotely, our spouses you know, working from home has all changed our lives and isolated us. We've dealt with COVID. We've had peaceful demonstrations. We've had riots. We've had political strife. So all those things have had a tremendous impact on our communities in general. There's been a significant increase in domestics. Alcohol sales have been up by more than 30% in Cook County, and the suicide rate since 2019, I believe, in Cook County and certainly in Chicago, has gone up and increased every year. So imagine on top of that being a Chicago Police uh, Department member, dealing with all of that, but extraordinary stresses and traumas on a daily basis. So that means that any sort of impact that it might have on the our communities in general right. is probably much higher on our department members who suffer you know greatly as a result of the consequences of being on this job and all of us are living in a post-George Floyd world, but not all of us have to deal with that. And I suppose, forget about the pandemic. Don't forget about the pandemic. We hear what you say, but then I also think the stresses on police officers is greater in the last three years than it might have been in a very long time, too. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, law enforcement is under a, a microscope, and that can add a lot of pressure uh, and tension to the job um, as well, and certainly has. Is that your experience? I think it is my experience because I, I think there's a feeling on as as a police officer now that uh, one wrong decision can change your life. Absolutely, and you one know? wrong right. Finish that thought. What do you mean by that? One I, wrong decision. One wrong decision. You know, if you know, we have to react so quickly to something that somebody else is doing. You know, you know, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. You know, uh, everybody's out there trying to do the best they can. But if 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 you make a bad decision, you could be on the the news the next day, or I, fired, or whatever else, and it puts a lot of stress on officers. If you act too defensively it might be seen as over aggressive if you don't act defensively enough it could cost you your life right so either right. way you are in peril right and then you do that every day you're going into the same you know district that you work every day facing the same problems it doesn't it's not like it goes away like it's going to happen one time and then it goes away you, you got to get up and do it again the next day that's a lot of pressure what else has been layered on police officers these days well, there's, uh, you know, there's, you know, uh, you're expected to know everything, you know, you're, you're expected to have all the answers, you know, you know, we have general orders and, you know, you're, you're supposed to follow all, every rule. It's, you know, it's, it's almost impossible. 
But to keep in mind everything you can and can't do, shouldn't shouldn't do in real time. Right. And it would seem to me like police officers are asked to not only know the intricacies of the law, when and when they can't apply it, they need to have some sort of first aid or medical background. I mean, they need to be able to do some basic triage if that's necessary um, at all sorts of hours of all sorts of days. Yeah, and they do that on a daily basis. And then vacation schedules are taxed these days. Family time is taxed these days. Canceled days off. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah, Yeah, right. I mean, so I just... I can't imagine what that is like for the men and women that wear the badge. It's physically and mentally exhausting. And of course, without proper physical and mental rest uh, is the opportunity for compromise in well-being. It can cause um, physical illness. It can cause a significant decrease in one's emotional wellness. And these officers have to find ways to recuperate from that on a daily basis while struggling to find time and means to do so. It It, it is partly why some of the numbers that we see in the communities is so much higher in law enforcement. Hmm. Uh, firefighters probably have a version of that story too though right uh yes i mean I, we, you we um wear a uniform that while we take it off on our days off we still are that person in our neighborhoods police officers is the same thing the difference between fire and police is and, and no offense to any police officer because my dad was a police officer is that when they see fire <clears throat> they invite us in because we're there to save a life police are really there too but they're looked at a little differently the the men and women in blue as authoritarian and people unfortunately seem to reject that currently which is a different kind of uh theme than we experienced 20 and 30 years ago there have been more cases of death by suicide in the last couple of years, or can, Doctor, you talk about that? Is it where it was? Is there an uptick? What's going on in that case? Well, again, I think because of the high incidence of suicide in the general population and everything that law enforcement experiences, particularly in trauma, whether it be uh, one particular incident or just an accumulation of extraordinary stress can really cause symptoms of trauma. When we have a suicide, as in the general population, it's rarely um, exists in isolation. When you have one suicide, unfortunately, uh, it is more than likely to be followed by others. So I think when we look at law enforcement suicide, it really mimics what's in the general population. A lot of times you'll hear a comparison of suicide statistics in the general population versus law enforcement, and those are apples and oranges, because law enforcement does not have parts of the population that the general population does. When you look at law enforcement suicide and you take out the most significant aspects of suicide, meaning male of a certain age and access to lethal weapons, then the numbers come down much closer together, although law enforcement still is higher. And particularly when you take women into the equation, women also become much closer to the norm uh, because of access to lethal weapons. Hmm. Um, 
That's interesting, but I'm not sure if I followed that exactly. You're saying that, in fact, um, in the general population, if we were able to sort of compare apples to apples, we would find that um, my my profession or other professions have experienced a similar rate of suicide? Not in terms of profession, but in terms of parts of the populations that do commit suicide. So when we take out, you know, males of a certain age with access to weapons, whether it be in law enforcement or the general population, Mm -hmm. the statistics become much closer together, although the statistics for law enforcement does remain somewhat higher. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's good news or bad news. That is, we're all in this together, but it does seem as though it's, it's, it's a bad tide. It's higher than it should be. It's higher than it has been. Absolutely. In general, suicide is uh, higher than it has been historically, and uh, it is uh, much more of a significant issue, along with domestics, along with drug and alcohol usage issues, um, along with overdoses. All of those statistics have been higher in the general population as well as law enforcement. Joe, do officers talk about this with each other or with their supervisors? Well, I don't think they'll talk to their supervisor. Usually, a police officer doesn't really get help until he's in trouble, you know. And um, you know, so once an uh, you know a supervisor might notice and have a conversation with them, and they can always refer them to our office. It doesn't mean that that officer is going to go willingly. Most of the time, if we have a successful person who who gets help, um, it's because. They called us up and asked for help. You they know? called us up, meaning they called the, the the EAP. They'll call up the EAP and go, "I need to talk to somebody." EAP about stands for what? Employees Assistance Program. That's, that's what you do. Yeah, that's what we do. So you, they see you as a colleague, though they're not right. going to get as in trouble if they officer. reach out to you. Right, as a police officer, as a person in recovery, as somebody you know, I uh, that that can talk to them. What would a typical conversation like that sound like? Well, we would bring, hey, so what's going on? And they're like, well, you know what, I'm drinking a little bit too much. And I'm like, and I'll ask them, well, what's, why are you drinking more? And it could be, you know, I'm being sued. And I'm like, oh, you know, how long has that been going on? You know, because not every person that comes into my office is an alcoholic. So what's unique about our office is that if they come in, something like that, I might refer them to the clinical staff, which there's 16, what'd you say, 16 uh, clinicians. So they could take over. This officer could go to counseling and kind of head off what's going on. If he actually does have a drinking problem, we can call a place like Rosecrans or a treatment facility and get him, you know, if if he needs inpatient, we'll put him in the hospital. If it's if he's like he's not in withdrawal, we can get him involved in an IOP, which is an intensive outpatient program. What are the symptoms? How does a guy know that I'm not just uh, having a bad day, or I'm in a tough job, or I'm actually crossing some threshold here? Now I'm in trouble. Well, because they know, they know that they're they're in withdrawal, that they're shaky, that they're uh, you know maybe thoughts of suicide. You know, and they, they, they basically, it's like they, they become sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I think that's when they, you know, maybe they're, they're, one of the things that police officers do is they, they, uh, 
Drinking isn't working in their lives for them anymore. They're starting to feel the consequences, whether it be in a significant decline of um, intimate relationships, job problems, health problems, you know, all aspects of well-being. I think one of the important things as we talk about, you know, how the high incidence of all of these issues is that department members are actually utilizing all of the programs for officer wellness that the Chicago Police Department has. And in fact, in, in, in record numbers, which does give us, you know, hope and confidence that, you know, although these officers are unfortunately suffering, and yes, we must do something about that as a, as a society, that they are having confidence and trust and going for help and, you know, making choices for well-being versus staying in a place that leads to a destructive habits in their lives. And maybe this is where you come in, Dan. I mean, so that's the backdrop what does your service provide? I mean, what what can we do when men or women are faced with these challenges? Well, I think Dr. Sobo said it. Joe and I know it because we've talked it. I knew it from my own father. It comes with trusted resources, and what are those? The last thing I wanted to have for me when I was the EAP for the Chicago Firefighters Union was to have one of our men or women sit in their house going, who can I talk to, who can I trust? And when I was referring people throughout the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois and trying to figure out trusted resources, it's who do I refer somebody that is having thoughts of suicide? That's something that even though I grew up in an alcoholic family, had a father that was suicidal but never died by suicide, talked to many people, I didn't have an understanding. And so when I had to find out these resources, names are one thing, Rosecrans is our name, but who are the people behind that? And who are the people that our uniform service people going to sit down and have a conversation? And we just had lunch and talked about some of the stuff that we see. I just want to go back to something that Dr. Sobo said, because it's important to understand is that when things happen, stressful events, people get drunk, um, crash their car, die by suicide, that's from a cumulative effect. Uh, and I know that from my own father. This didn't happen overnight. It, it grew up, when he grew up in an alcoholic family himself, became a Marine, Chicago Police Department. Uh, artists have erasers, and they can erase a mistake. Writers have a delete button, and they can delete a word or a sentence. And the police, and I'll say this specifically, and even in, in fire and in, in military, which are the people that we see in our program, the biggest thing that we see is something that is not a diagnosis and we can't fix, and that's called survivor's guilt. From making that instantaneous, even though you've been trained in crisis management, making a mistake that you can't take back that might have cost somebody their life. And that's something that uh, clinicians have to understand, that we, you have to develop a relationship with that person and understand, hey, like Joe said, how are you doing? If you think one of us would spill our guts to anybody that we don't know, you're mistaken. Um, It takes a while for us to trust the next person. Well, that's informative maybe to somebody like me. Say I'm a friend or an acquaintance, and I say, hey, Dan, now you don't seem well. What's going on? And he says, nothing. And then I say, sure, because I'm here for you. And then Dan says, yeah. And then somebody says, how's Dan? I say, well, I reached out to him. He says he's doing okay. And that could be the end of my interaction with Dan, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess 
it's got to be, as Joe said, somebody you know and trust, maybe somebody on the force or that you trust in the force, an agency of the force, or somebody at Rosecrans or some similar agency that you've built a relationship up with. It's going to take a while for this person to reveal what's really eating at them, huh? I, I could tell you that when the men and women that I see that come f- that need inpatient treatment, not everybody needs inpatient treatment. And let me just say this, too, is across the country, frontline workers, first responders, and, and specifically police and fire, very capable. The ma- greater majority of us with the stuff that we see and experience are exceptional individuals that have a skill set, uh, that they can get things done. So why we talk about suicide and, and mental health, if we didn't have the brother and sisterhood and, and, and then the clinicians and the peer support that are out there, there'd be a lot more people that not only the individual but the family would be in trouble. So um, let's want to make sure that we're clear on that is that we have a lot of skilled people. And that's what when I see people come in that are at that high level and have that thousand thousand mile stair or thousand foot stair whatever you want to call it i know that they're chewing on something that's been chewing on for a while what's the thousand foot stair well i know the radio people can't see it it's where you ask a question and they look at you with a flat affect and go everything's good and you know everything can't be good especially i mean joe shared 27 years in law enforcement and the things that he's responded to dr sobo the same thing the conversations that we have behind the scenes are what they make movies out of. Right. Well, you made a reference a minute ago. You said you and Joe, I, maybe Dr. Sobo, too, are talking about the stuff that we see. What's the stuff that you see? What are we talking about? What kinds of things come in the door? Things that most human beings aren't equipped to, uh, to deal with. Extraordinary sorrow, pain, gruesome scenes, um, Police officers, first responders take on the, the pain and extraordinary circumstances of people's lives in a way that is damaging to their own. And I think we all need to recognize that these men and women on a daily basis, every moment, put themselves and their well-being physically, mentally, and literally their lives, because anything and everything could have um, catastrophic consequences. And well-being in terms of communities, in terms of being in their hands, could be just some recognition and support. Police officers need to be seen for the extraordinary human beings that they are and what they provide for all of us. And a simple thank you goes a long way. So instead of just looking myopically at law enforcement, which I think we tend to do based on stories that are in the news, we need to look at the rest of the men and women and the suffering that they are experiencing out there and what we all could do to try and help their well-being. Because if we help them be well, then they are much more capable of doing their job and serving and protecting us. And I would imagine something as mundane as 
not some catastrophic scene, not some high-tension chase, but just pulling over a vehicle. I watched a couple of police officers on my way home yesterday, and they just pulled over a vehicle, and now both of them are walking up on either side. And I thought about the police officers. They had very serious business-like looks on their face. They were men, I would say, in their mid-30s. And I thought, this isn't going to be pleasant, you know? I mean, even if this goes well... That's going to be a real bad day for the guy in the car. He's probably going to give some of that back to you. And even if it goes business-like, you know you're now going to write a ticket for this guy. You're going to be the deliverer of bad news. That can't be fun for you. And and that's just an ordinary, I think, responsibility we ask them to take on. I guess the point of all of that is that we maybe just don't appreciate how much we ask them to do and what they're going through on a daily basis. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we see a lot of things on the job. I, I mean, I could relate a story of back when uh, 20 years ago when I was, we heard two shotgun shots, you know, half a block away. We run up there, guy shot in the chest. He's telling his mother who shot him. So I, I witnessed a dying declaration. And it's kind of like, you know, you put that together with a busy district, North Avenue, you know, 25th District was a busy area. You see that every night, day in and day out, and, and it wears you out. It really takes a lot out of you. you you're, you actually kind of calm down when you start to get back into your own neighborhood or your own area. You, you, it, it's like, you're like, Phew. But then maybe the call comes in for the next thing you got to right. do. The next day, you do the same thing. Well, that's what you were talking about, Dr. Sobo. It's just relentless. These guys get on a wheel. These gals get on a wheel. It just keeps coming every day. That's the job. The cumulative experience of being on law enforcement is devastating. There's no doubt about it. Well, then let's just talk a little bit, fellas, about what those individuals can do that wear the uniforms and then what the rest of us can do. So why don't you start dan what what advice do you have for officers men and women or firefighters what should they be cognizant of if they're going to try and maintain a healthy psyche well i I think the thing that we teach in our program as well as i think wellness in general if you have a wellness program is self-care and take care of yourself and um it's different for everybody for me to get through a day, and, 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 and again, I shared for me, I'll, I'll give my example rather than somebody else's, is that I was the chief for downtown Chicago on one of the shifts. And I would come down here, and uh, the average battalion chief doesn't have 1,300 high-rises and 3 million people. And, 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 there, and it's not 3 million, and, but any given time, that many people, it becomes hypervigilant. How do you manage that stuff? We have our systems, right, our, our central nervous system and our sympathetic and parasympathetic. If you run a marathon, you got to prepare for that, and you have to rest from that. For us in uh, the first responder world, and especially law enforcement, with excessive overtime and mandatory overtime and days off that are uh, eliminated and not even allowed, how does your body rest? Um, the you have to make it and and joe said it from a recovery standpoint if you don't put your recovery first guess what's going to happen so from a long-standing standpoint from a self-care and longevity to do 30 years in in, in any one of these careers you have to make it a priority to recover each day some way shape or form the greatest thing that has helped us in both our blue and red careers 
is peers. Uh, that's why Joe runs, uh, you know, his EAP with peers. Uh, Dr. Sobo knows that, and he's known that from day one. And, and from a clinical standpoint, they both share uh, uh, the, the, the support of somebody's recovery. I knew that from day one, and I knew that when I was age six, when two police officers came in and saved my dad's life. Hmm. Um, I knew that 52 years ago. Uh, but if it was two non-police officers, he may not be here. So to piggyback on what Dan is saying, from a cultural point of view, it's about teaching basic skills to police officers about identifying and talking about the emotional impact of what they have seen and what they've been through. Because the reality is officer wellness, to a large extent, belongs to themselves. So just like we teach them all the sorts of skills to survive an incident, what we don't do well and we are making up for is teaching them how to identify their emotions and talk about it. And what I usually tell groups of police officers is, so they can understand it is, you know, at home, if you're a parent with your intimate relationships, the cornerstone of a healthy relationship is the communication of, hey, I'm here for you. You can trust me. I will listen to you and I will do whatever it is I can to help you be well. If that's what you strive for and that's what the goal of healthy relationships are in your personal life, then doesn't it make sense that it's just as important where you work? And imagine how the ceiling of well-being could be raised if in the districts and place of work and law enforcement that became the norm. It became a skill just as making sure every day your equipment is in good working order so that you're going to survive your tour of duty and go home. Well, Joe, how, how well equipped are the officers in your experience at that? How ready or willing are they? You know what? It's changed a lot over the, the last few years. I think uh, it's a lot better. I think um, officers won't get help until there's a consequence. You know, unfortunately, um, that might be the thought that they might lose their job. They'll get help, and they'll do well. Um, I think a lot of supervisors understand what it takes to get sober now or what it takes to get help or to put this officer in a position to receive the help. So we have guys like myself and the other counselors that are, are there to help them out. We're all police officers. We have an immediate connection, I believe, most of the time, even if they don't totally agree, agree with us. Yeah. Like, I'm not an alcoholic. That's for other people. You know, I think the disease kind of dictates what's going to happen. You know, if, if their disease is bad, they're gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep getting worse for them. They sometimes come back. So we really like to make a good effort to make a connection so they can come back someday well let me add let me tell you this um there was a shooting in my neighborhood yesterday it's not important when it is was because this podcast is going to go out and people will hear it days weeks and years from now but just yesterday there was a shooting on the uh, northwest side where i live and it was a car chase um, the police got out. The guys crashed the car. Then they chased him on foot. They found him hiding in a garage. The guys were armed to the teeth, and there were four of them. And the police officers ran them down. No shots were exchanged, and the guys were apprehended. Police did the job. 
and, yeah. and, and uh, hooray for all of us. And I wondered what it's like when that cop goes home, that police officer goes home that night, and how are they going to be the next day? Because that would be a story I would tell my kids and grandkids. That was Tuesday for these guys, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just wonder what's that like for you all, and how how does that affect your mental health? I think one of the things to recognize is, you know, knock on wood, it all turned out well. But imagine what went through their body in order for them to perform their job and make decisions and act in a way that saved lives. It still takes a toll, and there's still a need to process it because some of it, and Joe, you you jump in, some of it is, you know, huge relief that they are okay and they're going home and that a job was well done. There could be other factors. Oh my, like, oh my, this could have gone wrong so quickly like other jobs have for other people that I've heard of. And what am I doing? Where's my support? Where is my recognition? Yes, I made it home, but who's going to help me with what I just went through and recognize that it was a job well done, but it still cost me? Well, if I can add to that, and I think we talked about this a little bit ago, is one of the number one reasons people called me when I worked for the Chicago Firefighters Union was relationship issues and the inability to communicate to their significant other. So now add to that where for a lot of people, their home life is their safe zone for that police officer and or fire or EMS, and you don't have that communication in that safe zone, where do you go? And I think we know that then when we're all built up with that. I don't want to paint a bad picture, but in a sense, you know, the bar, gambling, sure, sex. Distractions, something. And, and it's not anything different than any other population but that's we have to consider all the other things from a stressful work environment where do you lay that and if you don't have that at home and if you don't have that relationship and you don't have that at the forepoint of your thought process the self-care joe yeah i think uh, the other thing to consider for that you know the, shooting, the yeah. shooting by by your house is there might be an officer who's 26 years old has no family. The other guy might have be 35 years old, have two kids at home. He's going to react totally different than the single guy. You know, you could be in a shooting. I'm fine. Next time you get in a shooting, you have three kids. You know, you might collapse because you, you think about your family. So we're constantly changing, too. But there has to be that release, too. Like you said, with gambling, it always comes out. Nowadays, it's coming out of gambling and, you know, the Internet. You can do anything you want, anytime. Sure. But the release, the healthy release would be what? Find somebody to talk to. Um, I don't know, exercise, uh, <clears throat> take a day off or whatever. I mean, what what are the solutions for these pressure points that these guys go through? Intimacy, connectedness with loved ones, friends, colleagues, rest, diet, 
whatever your form of yoga is, whether it's fishing or whether it's literally yoga. It's just whatever healthy habits you can fit into your life, you know, that'll help you recover physically and emotionally from the stress and traumas of the job. Uh, do you agree with that? Well, I agree, but mine is a little bit different because I, I have actually, I'm involved in a 12-step program, so I, I get... I, I go to meetings. I uh, connect with other people. You know, I work at uh, recovery. You know, I, I'm constantly working on myself. And I think that's, you know, you would probably be surprised the amount of police officers in recovery. Yeah, sure. You know, I think we've made a big difference. I don't think it's the stigma. I mean, there's still a stigma involved in alcoholism, but I think people are starting to break through that. Yeah. The shame. Uh, um, yeah. Well, uh, perhaps if you are a recovering alcoholic, you have, like you said, already taken ownership a little bit of your mental or physical well-being. Um, if these yes. other stresses or trauma occur, at least you've got a little momentum in recognizing right. my flashpoints and what am I going to do about it. Mm-hmm. Although, boy, you would imagine it would be very easy to relapse, too, then. Do you see that? Does that happen after a traumatic situation for officers and firefighters well certainly as joe mentioned it's 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 a chronic disease so it doesn't there's not a pill or a thing that you can take that cures it so what is important to remember in any type of recovery whether it be substances or mental health and let's be honest the the general population is from the cdc one in four maybe getting closer to one in three or three point five persons have a diagnosable mental health condition if as we go into our careers we get armed and trained in how to manage these crises so for 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 us in 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 life in general marriage finances raising kids schools deaths suicides i mean let's i could go on how do you arm yourself to manage that well i think you guys have answered that in part i mean i've heard a lot of really positive ideas from the two of you but i did have a list of some of the warning signs and i want you just to comment on them generally and then i'll i think i'll close with a couple of phone numbers that people can can use um the warning signs that i read are feeling hopeless withdrawing um sometimes individuals talk about taking their own lives about being a burden to others Uh, we've talked about the dependence on alcohol and drugs um another warning sign that i see is saying goodbye giving away prized possessions if you see someone act in an unusual way like that that would be a warning sign too um anything else you would add or amend on that list what I would offer, and the doc is going to give you probably a better answer than me, is we look at, I'm a, I'm a study of human behavior. So if there's a significant change yeah. in a behavior, so a lot of people look at somebody that all of a sudden is hopeless. But unfortunately, we've had people that have been that, and all of a sudden their behaviors change and they're lifted, and you're like, oh, he's better, she's better. And then you find out in a week or two, that they have taken their life. And as we look at the research, because I've been to many seminars and walked out very frustrated because most of the law enforcement and fire personnel and EMS personnel that I know personally that have died by suicide gave no warning signs or very little or hid them. And so when I see 
a significant change in their behavior. Be it up or down. I'm not afraid to ask, how are you doing? And then follow that up again with a further conversation. Maybe don't take no for an answer. Doctor, you were going to say? I just, well, Dan, that was a a great explanation. And there are going to be times that the person will not give you any warning or or indication. They don't want to because they don't want you to be in the way of their ultimate goal, which is to die. Mm. And so really, suicide intervention and prevention is about addressing any compromise in well-being when it happens so that we don't lose men and women. They don't wake up one day suicidal or in a domestic or have a problem with drug and alcohol usage. It is a process that leads them there. So if we can build wellness as an activity that people do every day, then they're less likely to fall into the categories that we're so concerned about that is causing you know such agony and pain for our officers and their family members. Resiliency and consistency in practicing well-being when it is compromised and it is inevitable in law enforcement that you will have some sort of compromise in well-being. You just have to take care of it and heal. John, if I could just offer from a personal experience and learning from my own father who did not die by suicide, but having the conversations with him, you could have somebody that has a thought and a consistent and constant thought about suicide but either doesn't have the means or is not going to um, attempt suicide that day or the next day. To get to that point to actually attempt suicide, you have to override all the basic human desires to stay alive. And that's not always every single day. What we do, try to do, is open that conversation, be a safe space, and not take no for an answer to have that discussion. We'd rather have somebody be mad at us mm-hmm. than walk away going, uh, I should have asked them that question. Hmm. What about a last thought from you, Joe? Well, I, I think that uh, w- with officers, you know, I, I'm coming from it as an addiction part of it. I think that, um, you know, you got to ask for help. We're uh, police officers. We feel like we're a family. And I think when you're in a roll call room, hey, how's it going? You know, put the phones down for a while, talk to each other. You know, sometimes your partner is your best friend in the world. So we know when guys are going through trouble. But, you know, know that you can reach out to the EAP. You don't have to bring them down. You could call one of us and talk on the phone. It doesn't mean we have to do something that day. But we are a family, and we should take care of each other. Gentlemen, this has been very helpful, uh, very interesting, very enlightening. You guys have made great radio guests, too. We should uh, not just have Face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're a good-looking bunch of guys, too, who are doing the good work. Uh, thank you all for uh, being part of this podcast series. It's been very helpful. So I'll just close with this, then. Just 988 is the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You can text or call 988 and that will get you to somebody who is ready to help you. Uh, and, of course, the number at Rosecrans is 888-928-5278. Again, gentlemen, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, John. 
This is On Your Radar, a podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, Northern and Central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Click on rosecrans.org or call 866-330-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans, life's waiting.